Welcome to the ADEL podcast. ADEL is a membership-based Web3 community of like-minded people from different backgrounds, jointly building and investing in the Web3 ecosystem. Welcome to the panel discussion of this month. So my name is Lydia, and I'm currently leading the marketing blog of ADEL. And tonight we have Monique joining us. Actually, I'm very excited about tonight. Also because it's the first time that we actually have other female speakers and experts in crypto joining us for our panel discussion. I'm very proud of this discussion and more women in crypto and in the Web3 space. So tonight's topic that um, we'll be more focusing on Web3 regulations, highlights and outlook. We can go around the table and have more than quickly introduce themselves first and then we can dive into tonight's topic. Hi everyone, we started the firm about four and a half years ago doing nothing but crypto, blockchain and DAO. We currently take care of over 10 DAO projects and we cover a range from criminal, civil litigation to the commercial aspects. Every day I'm learning new things. I love this sharing session. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you. I think most of people would probably know Karma here, but Karma, would you like to quickly introduce yourself and also a DAO? Hi everyone, I'm Karma. I'm the founder of ADAO. Um, ADAO is a breathly community, so we have a lot of members from different parts of the world coming together, share, learn about our own experience in breathly, and then we also explore a new initiative that we can do together as a DAO, as a community. And I'm very excited, yes, to see ladies on the stage because I just feel very happy every time that we have more a voice from from more diverse background, from the female side to talk about crypto and NFT. We need that more voice because that's how we make it more complete. And I always believe in the power of diversity. And hopefully we can have more interaction with Moni down the road. Thank you. Thank you. Before we dive into tonight's topic on really to talk about regulations, how did you get into the field? And what do you think of this transition from before it's more Web2 and then now you're dealing more Web3 related cases or regulations? I have worked for all my life with international firms, two UK and the US, and it was 4814, <laughs> basically lots of travel. So then I took some time off back to school just to search for what it means to be futuristic. And I discovered blockchain and that was my research. So I spent five years in the UK. Coming back to Hong Kong, I've decided to set up on my own and blockchain will be always relevant. So that was a search for meaning in life and what will remain relevant forever. And that was blockchain. And that was the decision to make. The first year was very tough because no one knew about blockchain. Coin was the craze back then, five years ago. So it was very tough the first year. But now looking back, it was well worth the effort. Thank you. What was the most challenging part when you first started? Is it because people don't like don't know about this area or is it like the clients are more on the regulation side or what's the most challenging part? If there are no regulation, we would be free for all. And that would be a lawyer's dream come true and paradise. The first year was tough because... We had no client in Hong Kong. There were no startup in this space yet. But I spent five years in the UK. So we started with some UK startups, German startups. They're very into blockchain, especially in the art field. We, I happen to personally love art law. 
So I'm a patron to Christie's Young Artists. And from there, we then got into blockchain, which was the first wave in the art application, art tech application. So we were talking to a lot of Swiss projects and they're very much advanced during that time about setting up a foundation to gather people around. There was a movement, anti-authority and centralization. So it was very, a very passionate and in-depth discussion, not in Hong Kong, but in other parts of the world. So I had to make a lot of travels to see a lot of people understand it's but every conversation was passionate. It was very focused in a niche practice area. So I learned a lot in the first year, not in terms of client in Hong Kong. We're ultimately a Hong Kong registered law firm. Now we're also settled in Singapore. But during that time, there was no income whatsoever from Hong Kong. And I had to involve myself in, in, in meetings outside of Hong Kong, which was the challenging part. And in the first year, it was more Bitcoin related. So we were drawn into a lot of criminal cases, especially fraud cases. So that was a challenge as well. Not gender bias, but lady in and out of police station (laughs) and dealing with criminals was not my cup of tea, but we were drawn into that space for the first year. It was very hectic. A lot of anonymous people you have to deal with. You don't understand their background, where they come from, because everyone claims to hold certain amount of bitcoins they wish to dispose and everyone claims they have the assets to purchase. So that was a real challenge for our KYC procedures. Thanks. I think back five years in crypto space must have changed a lot and I can imagine the difficulties and challenges back like from five years ago and it was definitely wasn't especially when you started everything on your own. I think that could be like the amazing journey that you started. What do you think because difference and also your biggest challenge when it comes to when you're transitioning from to work to now more crypto focus? For us, it's more updating on the regulations every three months. And I love, one thing I love is the nascent space and that allows us some creativity in structuring around the regulations in so many different jurisdictions. But then laws change all the time. So every three to six months, we need to advise clients to make adjustments to the corporate structure or organize well the whole entire group structure. So that to us is very exciting and we love to grow in this space with clients, with the regulators in conversation and with the industries. Every industry, every sector is thinking of a lead into this Web3 space. So there are many interesting ideas, lots of conversations and for us as lawyers as well, we're learning actually every single hour <laughs> i think that's a that's also very interesting about this space and it's always changing and still always evolving and, and Moni's point about different regulations in different in different territories like this is a great segue of kicking some of our topics tonight because i'm still quite new to this field i'm sure some in the audience are also feeling the same and the regulations change all the time around different parts of the world. So maybe I would like Monique can briefly share the overview of like current crypto regulations, especially in the areas maybe Hong Kong, Singapore, maybe US and UK on the regulations on crypto on cryptocurrency, on crypto exchanges, like what are the key highlights currently and major updates recently? Last year we were involved in two major litigation. One is in the UK and one in the US. But both requires our conversation and lots of to and fro between the companies companies and the SEC. Everyone knows Gary Gensler, 
remarks that all cryptos are securities. But really, it's it's in this space in the U.S. I think the current scenario and inclination is to regulate. So there are a few competing factors and consideration here. On the one hand, regulation, and on the other would be so for regulation there will be certainty. I'm all for. A level of regulation, so we have some certainty, and our minds are more settled, and businesses can navigate around those regulations. So it's a positive thing to have some regulations. Then, of course, the difficult balancing act would be competition with the traditional sectors like the banks and financial houses and innovation, which we everyone knows. All the regulators in 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 the world know we need. A level of innovation for the economy, for the trend, for more creativity coming in. But then, how do you stamp out? And it's very rampant in this space. Unfortunately, we all know about rug pulls. We all know about fraud scams and everything. It's very difficult. If we are all regulators, we would be having a very tough、uh, balancing act as well, because the rampant scams that happen around the world do come in the, if not. Uh, billions, then at least billions, millions, and unsuspecting public. So, how do you reduce and cater for risks, but at the same time、uh, ensure a transparent and orderly market, especially in the financial markets? So, it's it's tough, but we're seeing more regulations coming in, in the U.S. before the new bill to be debated and come into force, which. Maybe a year, maybe two. The U.S. forced upon the commodity and futures transactions, so CFTC, to try to regulate crypto as a commodity. Then there is the investment scheme, the very popular. I'm sure all of you would know something about this. The Howey test, whether we deem token as a security. The other basket would be the utility token. So if you issue a token which is deemed as a security, then it's not a matter of the token. It's a matter of the deem. Status of it being a security, and then broadly the Howey test. There are other aspects to consider as well would come in, and the test is a very、uh, simplistic one, which is if there's a investment agreement where there are a group of people coming in with expectation of performance and reasonable profits expectation deriving from the efforts of other people. Not yourself. What does this mean? Then this would be deemed a security. I'm loosely phrasing this definition. So what does this mean? That means you just purchase something off the exchange. Take an analogy, a listed company. You just buy and sell on the exchange with no effort on your part. So it will be up to the listed company to control, manage the share price, do secondary markets, performance results, and so on. So. Drawing the same analogy in the Web three space, then this would be the、uh, token issuing company. We call them the issuers, having control, create the create token, having the control and management of their、uh, pricing. Understandably, a lot of the cryptocurrencies trading would be deemed easily deemed as a security. There there isn't a all encompassing law in the U S. Therefore. Very expensively, 
it's been tested by case law after case law and enforcement action. The unsatisfactory part of the case law is, of course, it's very expensive. A company will need to litigate and the litigation process will take two years. Our case takes about two and a half years. And there are so many proceedings before it even comes to the substantive issues being hashed out in court. So there would be a definition, there would be discovery, there would be different motions being debated before it even gets into the real trial. And in our case, in the US, there are many interim judgments that we can learn from and hotly debated application of Howey tests. In the end, of course, our project is deemed as a security. Then what does it mean? It means this largest ICO in the entire world will have to disgorge. So there will be an order from the SEC being the applicant and the court and the judge will rule, yes, this is a security. Unfortunately, you were not registered. So therefore, you need to re- unwind those investments. Who suffers? The wider public who invested into this ICO. So the company will need to return the proceeds, but then they would have expanded on the whole security exercise. And discouragement comes with millions of civil penalties. It's really sad. So that was the case. We may have heard there are many other cases in litigation or being sent letters by the SEC. CoinMarket has issued a, sorry, Coinbase has issued a appeal to the SEC to ask for, and this is the right move, a more formal guidance and procedure on how token projects could launch their tokens. And we rather not have the SEC coming quite arbitrary to enforce in the courts, which results in no one winning seriously and millions of dollars in taxpayers money as well litigating to find the outcome the judgment when we could have easily regulated or provided guidance of some sorts through our conversations with the sec we understand they are internally very divided one camp thinks we should allow innovation the other camp of course takes the hard line so nothing's been settled we're very eagerly awaiting more debate on the financial bill that's going in and everyone the u.s is polarized in and of itself it's even hard to have everyone agreeing on the set of facts but i think we'll make some headway on some certainty whatever it is we welcome some certainty so we don't need to derive and seek answers through litigation and some of the litigation went halfway and agreed by settlement so we don't get to clarify certain issues through our discussions with sec in, in our case we find the overreaching powers of the sec as well so long as you sell to a certain portion of u.s investors you are inviting trouble from the sec we try to get a ballpark on either the quantum of investment monies or the number of investors but of course no one dares to give us any answer so as long as you have some u.s investors then you can't sleep at night because the SEC might knock on your door anytime and ask for a total... Because in terms of fairness, you can't say, okay, and we tried that in 
the SEC case that we return the U.S. portion of investments and keep, for example, the Asian market, but that was deemed to create disparity of market as well. So that would not happen. And rather than go into a more expensive fight with the SEC, project decided they will stop everything and return all the investment to everyone of the investor, whether they are US or non-US. So this uh, overreaching power seems to think they possess, even though maybe a project could have 10% of US investors, uh, was very worrying. There was a motion to the judge to clarify this position, but judge was saying it wasn't a case in point. So they had not the time to decide on the jurisdictional reach of the SEC. Just for the audience, if you have a project, a token that is borderline on whether it's utility or it could be deemed as a security, be very careful about your offer to any one of the US investor. And what is deemed to be a US investor is another conversation. But I'll just leave you with that sharing of the case study. Thank you. Hi, morning. Just one question, one more question to add with your sharing on the U.S. regulations. Do you, so do you see that projects and companies are avoiding the U.S. market just because the overreaching power of SEC right now? Yes, it's not just the SEC. It's the tax inner revenue coming in as well. And we know Wyoming is the first state that published uh, DAO laws, decentralized uh, autonomous organization laws, but. There are only a handful set up in the US. If, if you want to submit yourself to the SEC regulations, it's very expensive exercise. You will need crypto lawyers, institutional law firms to advise you on every little step you take, whether it's marketing, whether it's closing the deal, whether it's an investment term. So it gets very expensive in terms of meeting regulatory demands and just try not to fall far of regulations. So yes, that, sorry, Lydia, what was your question again? Yeah, so my question is uh, whether, do, do you see a trend of the companies or projects that are, that are trying to avoid a US market? Oh yeah, the answer is definitely yes. But US companies have no choice but to comply. <laughs> so they're actively seeking more certainty in regulations. Which I think is a good thing. If the US companies occupy the attention of the SEC, then that would be beautiful for the rest of the world. But for the rest of non-US based projects, we would suggest having carve out. So in terms of structuring, we might need to do more to have a US facing entity and structuring. And then the other part would be a Asian for example, group of companies that cater for the Asian market. So there will necessarily be different product design, for example, to cater for both markets so as not to fall foul. So if anything happens, it's not the whole entire project that calls into question, but only the US portion. Thanks, Monique. Yeah, I think that's very clear and great advice for maybe who are thinking about launching their projects or who have projects based in Asia or think about facing the U.S. as well. And I just one more one more follow up on regarding the Hong Kong and U.S. or even some other areas that we mentioned. How do you both think these regulations affecting the development of the industry? Do we see certain because of these trends of these regulations, do you see companies too are moving or like definitely we covered that they're avoiding the U.S. at some point, but do you see them moving to towards certain countries right now? Or are there more countries that are more more crypto friendly? 
Yeah, for payment license services in Singapore, we've had conversations with the MAS. They are so inundated with applications. On top of that, you need due diligence house, internal audit house to do a three-inch thick report on internal controls and risk management. The whole procedure takes optimistically between 8 to 18 months. And no one can tell. So in businesses, you need certainty. However, it's a chicken and egg. Do you hire all your staff now, have an office, apply for the license, or do you do it midway or once the license is granted? And for example, DBS Bank in Singapore, they have the digital innovation unit applying for the payment license. Of course, they have a structure ready, existing ecosystem. They could easily apply for the payment license. But for entrepreneurs coming in, startups, they don't have the infrastructure set up yet. So the regulators would be inquiring for a longer time, more detailed information to be provided than which startup would have the funding to wait six, eight months to 18 months just idling and not starting any business in with the license application pending. So it's again, that boils down to costs and your sustain, sustainability and the longer term plan. We had a, a survey for another client, a research paper on they wanted to set up in the quickest manner of time in exchange crypto exchange license. So we were surveying uh, places like the Philippines, Panama, of course, we know FTX gone to Bahamas and welcomed them with uh, open arms, the Cayman Islands and so on. So for example, if we say, all right, the quickest is to set up a exchange license in the Panama, but which investor would invest in that crypto license? So where is the money? Where are the investment funds? It's the question we'll ask client. And ultimately, it's still the Chinese market coming, the funds flowing out from the Chinese market into Hong Kong. Funds are here. The regulatory environment that's conducive is Singapore, for example. Then you need a license in Singapore, but you market in Hong Kong. Then you need to be compliant in Hong Kong. Then in the meantime, do you get a interim Philippines license or not? And so on. It's... I hate to say this, but sometimes we need regular, uh, jurisdiction shopping for different parts of the business to make it a sum total, uh, which is, again, uh, very costly, but it's doable. Yeah, so th- that's my take on it. Thanks, Morning. And I think one, one point I want to also ask is that since Morning also mentioned that now Hong Kong and Singapore, you see the policies or regulations are tightening. But in the foreseeable future, in the, like in the next 12 to 18 months, do you think this is the continuous trend? It will continue to tighten? and Or is there any major regulation developments that you foresee but for the market to for Hong Kong and Singapore that would come? I think there will be welcome definition. I think we need a clear set of definitions. That's first and foremost. And I see the US in the next year will definitely have advancement in clarifying the security, the token, NFTs, for example. And there will be, unfortunately, more lawsuits to further clarify the issue. Every project is different. Every token project, ICO, STOs, they're very different and it 
depends on the mode, the platform, the investment, whether investors or members and the management team as well. I think in the coming year, not too long, we'll see more defined terms and the way forward in the US, in Singapore. Yes, the payment services license is there. Um, the regulators might issue licenses on a slower pace just to pace the market. And I think the focus, of course, in the last few months has been on more investor protection, public disclosure and risk statements. There is still the underlying inclination, which is a positive thing to encourage innovation in this space. Whether we like it or not, we'll continue to innovate, we'll continue to grow, we'll continue to be more relevant, we'll continue to blend into Web2. So there's no stopping this trend and it becoming mainstream. So what does it mean to the regulators? I think because this space is evolving so quickly, in a way, we are texting the regulators to think more around it. They are not going to kill the space. I think, we, as I said, more defined terms coming from the US, more relaxation in Singapore, because in the past two years, I don't know if you've seen these statistics, there are more billionaires moving to Singapore than any other city in the entire world. And I... It, might, it would be a safe margin to say between 30 to 40% are tech companies, blockchainers and web entities. So Singapore has a lot of talent in this space. As, um, of course, between wearing the regulator's hat and they are behind the blockchain association, they are having all this public governmental feelers out there to secure more feedback, responses and so on. So they're very, pro very proactive Singapore. And they're very mindful to have Web3 to boost their economy. So you are seeing all the conferences being held in Singapore, COVID as well. But then it, it's in, it, the conferences are a mini economy in and of themselves. So that's a lot of conversations in Singapore. So I see that as a brain trust to start initiatives and to carry on meaningful dialogue. I see Hong Kong still as the money where the money is and the investment. And we're looking around opening Hong Kong and welcoming innovation. I think with the opening up more, it's instant. Hong Kong has, still has that attractiveness to it. So the conversations might flow back to Hong Kong. Very interesting space. We're seeing Panama, we're seeing other lesser developed countries jumping onto the Web3 bandwagon in, in an aggressive fashion. So that will push the worldwide discussions in this space. We're seeing the, in the UK, the financial um, SCA coming with more regulations and allowing registration. We're seeing pockets of committees forming think tank and offering to the government their thoughts in this space. China is still very much centralized, but they are as well forming think tanks to allow, for example, NFTs as well, albeit piggybacking on the government infrastructure, but still it's unstoppable. And this trend will pull the regulator along. So I'm very positive in this space. Yeah, thanks, Morning. I think, yeah, definitely it will be great to see Hong Kong to open up and, and also th thanks for sharing about the trend in Singapore as well. I think in, in the interest of time, I would like to move on to a relatively newer form of organization, which is DAO. So definitely ADAO ourselves, we found it like 
about a, a half a year or nine months ago. And so it's a very new form of organization and it's a very it's a self-governing entity instead of having a proper corporate structure to govern the whole organization. DAOs are quite democratic and it's enforced by blockchain-based like smart contracts. For DAOs, do you see DAOs are subject to any regulations? I know that Morning just mentioned that Wyoming in the States just launched this laws on DAOs. Maybe Morning can share a little bit more. Oh yeah, I don't know what other <laughs> Don't want to offend aspects of why it can offer, but to bring if you find more relaxed regulations, they are often economic based to attract more talents, job market, or that's the function of the government and the regulators as well. We let's let's do the basic one on one. Dow is not a Dow does not need regulation. It's simply a collective of communities on the blockchain and virtually we don't need to have a DAO to have friends getting together to vote on which is the next restaurant they want to try or they pull their resources to do a potluck we don't need that so DAO does not need any regulation I'm making a bold statement here but I'm making a point that we don't need to create a because there are existing regulations limited liability partnership or a, a loosely formed unincorporated association then why do we have regulations seeping into this space because DAO is getting traction so we see this space like a group of friends voting on a restaurant but because the vote comes in the form of a token and the token may have monetary value that's why we are seeing regulations coming into this space if we have a group of people with token voting and the governance structure again whether the token is a security or utility is another topic but the DAO itself the decentralized autonomous organization needs to have a backbone so Wyoming was the first to jump on the bandwagon with the DAO laws it's very easy to read or simplistic but then it's US centric again if you're in the US uh, there's a handful of projects registered under Wyoming law but then if we look at survey the worldwide DAOs a lot of them do not have a structure yet they have a structure infrastructure in terms of blockchain enabled voting system for example and multi-sig wallet as a treasury for example all these are tools but not the entity so what leaves room for the regulators would be for example certain regulations to govern for example setting up a trust in the Cayman Island and then having another entity to organize the finances and treasury, for example, and then having another BVI entity to hold intellectual property licenses. So we are seeing a DAO in the blockchain, but piggybacking, uh, the popular term is legal wrapper and legal wrapping on real life, the traditional Web2 entities, the company forms that we know of. And these company forms that we know of need to take care of realistic functions. For example, paying MPF for Hong Kong team members. So we would sometimes form a Hong Kong company just to take care of that. 
registering a Hong Kong trademark requires some localization. So we use that Hong Kong entity to register a Hong Kong trademark to commercialize that trademark in Hong Kong and to have income sourcing Hong Kong for that trademark. So then the tax issues starts coming in to play and then it becomes a localized regulatory environment. So we're seeing DAO being now currently divided into a group structure of different entities with different specific function. But then we're seeing more DAO-enabled regulations. Again, latest Marshall Islands allowing for DAO registration. But then what does it mean? We've had conversations with the Marshall people island people and they were saying for every single member that you take on the DAO takes on they have to KYC each and every member so my next question naturally would be what about if you offsell your token if you have a secondary market then how do you KYC then that becomes a problem practically speaking and there's no answer for me yet still a nascent space and not even lawyers who claim themselves in this space understand the legal intricacies of this space. Because I've been to different conferences and some of the lawyers who were giving their viewpoint on this space were making statements which were not true. So we tend to want to stay close to the regulators, update ourselves every three to six months just so nothing falls through the crack. Thank you. I think that's a very good point because like, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm very curious to know that because there are so many different types of DAOs out there. There are social DAOs, there are investment DAOs, and there are like NFT DAOs. And most of them are issuing tokens and that there are different utilities of these type of tokens. And how, how is it usually done to avoid that they are the issuers, to become an issuer of the securities? Or how, what's the more common way to, to see this? It's not an easy question. <laughs> Everyone who comes to us want a yes, no answer, but it's never easy. I, I, um, the previous conversation about the legal rapper, I just want to mention something very quickly on the foundation. So a lot of DAOs would set up a foundation anywhere in the world. You can some jurisdiction do not offer foundation setup, but most would the popular destinations for example Cayman Islands would be a popular destination to set up a foundation as a legal entity for the DAO we're currently having another proceeding on the structuring of a foundation and I just want to highlight that setting up a foundation is not equivalent to setting up a DAO and setting up a foundation with legal entity still requires a lot of agreement with the especially core management team of the DAO. So just want to point that out because some lawyers would say setting up a foundation anywhere that allows you to set up to to operate a DAO would be the DAO. So I just want to clarify that point. Yeah. I think my, my question is mainly about how DAO tokens are, whether, whether they are subject to regulation. And since there are so many different types of DAOs and different types of tokens. The broad we mentioned before would be whether you're a payment token or you are a security token, which everyone tries to avoid, or you are a utility. For example, a very clear example would be in-game token. You exchange for weapons or level up. So that would be a utility token. And a lot of law firms would be happy to issue 
legal opinion on that basis that it is not a security token. Along with the Howey test, there are a few laws in Hong Kong that we need to comb through very carefully and to navigate the business plan and activity around those laws for clients. For example, I mentioned the in-game would be a clear utility. We had another inquiry on a gym membership. That would be a utility as well because that token allows your usage of the gym hours, for example. Is it Karma, if you have any other points to add or any questions? Oh, thank you, the speaker sharing, and that's amazing. As you can see at the top of this room, there is an application form for ADAO. If you find the content shared by the panel interesting, useful, there are a lot of uh, quality content within the community. And our role as a wealthy community, try our best to help and to grow the ecosystem together to let everyone, more people uh, on board in the crypto space and educate more people. Yes, so do uh, open a buff link. Anyone can fill the info and try to be a member of ADAO and please to do it. And we're happy to have more passionate people to join the community. Thank you. Thanks, Karma. And thank you, Morning, for tonight's sharing. I personally learned a lot in this area and from both of you and got a lot more clarity on the current regulations and it's always a pleasure to learn always learn and grow in the area with the fellow DAO members and especially experts on in the field as well really good morning and anything else that you want to wrap up or anything else you want to add? i think we're all learning and don't be afraid to ask silly question there is no question to Sylvie and me too. No one's perfect. And the beautiful thing about Dao is there's so many talents around here in different expertise area. So I'm learning myself from other Dao members. Thank you, Kama, and the rest of the management core team to put in so much effort to have this community flourish. And thank you, Lydia, for always hosting with your very thoughtful questions. So yeah, very happy to continue to contribute to Dao. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone, and hope everyone having a great evening and a great weekend. And for those who are in Hong Kong, hopefully we can we will, we will organize some other events and, and we can have some in real life events soon. Also in Singapore, the uh, upcoming token twenty forty nine Lawrence uh, probably there is hosting an event there too. Yeah, so there will be a lot of happenings in both in Hong Kong and Singapore and in other cities in, in around the world too because members are all over the world right now. So yeah, feel, if you are in certain cities and if you have certain topics you want to meet up and chat, feel free to just raise it in the Telegram group. All right, thank you everyone and have a good evening. Good night. Thank you. Yes, good night. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the ADAO podcast. Want to know more about ADAO? Please visit our website, adel.io, if you enjoy our podcast. And don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time.